Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I am David, a pastor here at Current. Uh, we're excited to start a new series today uh, uh, looking at um, uh, 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 our vision. We're going to be doing a vision series, and, and the reason for that is the fall is essentially the start of our ministry calendar. In the life of a church, fall is really the time where we ramp up and we start doing things, mainly because during the, you know, at the end of the summer, people's vacation schedules are starting to settle down, school's starting back up, and you, you know, people are starting new work, all that sort of thing. So it's a great time of year for us to, as a church, get on the same page in terms of where we're headed, who we are, and what, what's the direction we're going. So we're doing this vision series that we're calling Here for Good. Here for Good. And we like this because not only is it a little play on words here, it has a couple of meanings uh, that, that are associated with it. For starters, uh, it's this idea of we're here for good. We're getting ready to celebrate our second anniversary, our second birthday, which is pretty exciting, jo uh, September 23rd. I hear Cindy's voice in my head. I want to make sure I get the, it's the 23rd, so make sure you're here for that. Write at your calendars. We're going to do a big celebration. It's our second birthday. Um, what's really fun about this, guys, if we could just celebrate God's goodness to us, is most church, in, in, in church startup, cult, like the world of church startup, people in the, in the know-how and all that sort of thing, the, the Bay Area is actually known for being the cemetery for church startups because the vast majority of church startups don't make it in the Bay Area. Now, when we say that, that's not to puff ourselves up, say, hey, aren't we cool? It's to humbly say, thank you, Lord, and celebrate what he's doing. But we are excited as, as we look at the fall and look ahead, just not only as our second year birthday, that we are, we are here for the long haul. We, are, we want to be here for good. And the second thought here is we are here for good, the emphasis there. We want to be for the good of those around us. Ever since we met as a, as a little group in a living room, we've always really had the heart to have a tangible and spiritual impact in our surrounding community. We want to have a lasting impact for the good of the culture and the society around us here in Silicon Valley. So we've been part of different organizations, different ministries from the beginning. They've been very humbling, humble beginnings, but even as we get up and going, we're already having conversations with a few more organization ministries and potentially partnering with them. It's all really exciting. We want to be here for the good. Um, so we're excited about this series, excited about getting us all on the same page and, 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 and getting ramped up for not only the Christmas season, which is a great opportunity to, to do outreach and serve the community, but also into Easter and all of that. Here in the fall, we want to, we want to gear up with this vision series, Here for Good. And I want to, excuse me, <clears throat> kick it off today by uh, this, looking at this message I'm titling, uh, Loving Where We Live. Okay, we're going to be looking at this, this, this uh, chapter in Jonah 4, sorry. Loving Where We Live uh, to kind of to kind of kick it off. Now, loving where we live. Is this something that comes natural for you? Do you love where you live? Here in the Silicon Valley, imagine a number of you do. Imagine a number of you do not. Uh, you know, if you've been around here for any length of time, you, you've heard this statistic that I've, that I've quoted before, that at any given time, there are over a third of the, uh, thir a third of the population in the Silicon Valley actively looking to move away. A third of the population at any given time in the Silicon Valley is actively looking to move away, which means, it seems to suggest, there's a lot of people not terribly thrilled about staying here. Um, and the reasons for this can be uh, all across the board. I mean, the macro, you can't uh, say a statistic like that and consider that thought without considering the cost of living here, housing prices, of course, but also the micro level. Uh, it's, it can be different for, for different folks. For instance, well, the Silicon Valley doesn't feel like home used to be. I can't wait to just kind of get back there. Actually, Silicon Valley is extremely transient. I've only met two people for the, the two years we've been here who are born and raised in Mountain View, the city. 
um, let alone however many of us are from, from the Bay Area. So it's very trans. So a lot of us are like, well, it's not, not home. Some of us, a lot of us in our culture as well, Silicon Valley is not the sexy San Francisco. Or, what, I mean, what's the flavor of the uh, Portland, Oregon, Austin, Texas, or... Um, that's not to knock any of that. Please hear me in that. Um, but uh, there are challenges to loving where we live, not only in terms of like our heart posture, which we'll, which we'll consider today, but also loving in action where we live. Um, the premise behind this series that we're looking at is regardless of how we feel, God loves where we are. God loves the Silicon Valley. God loves the people in the Silicon Valley, and he's placed you and me as individuals, as families, as a church here to love the Silicon Valley to show and to extend His love uh, for the people around us. And so uh, what I want to do today as we look at Jonah, Jonah 4, to kind of kick off this series, is look at the challenges and the beauty to loving where we live, okay? To look at the, the challenges and, and, and this beautiful calling to love where we live. Uh, let me pray, and then, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Father, thank You so much for the Silicon Valley, which You love, You care for, um, Lord, would you help us as we do this series and as, as a church just at large, help us to be a church that, uh, to go along one of our, our values here, to be ever outward looking, uh, ever uh, looking towards the needs of those around us. Um, of course, you call us to care for, for ourselves, care, care for each other, but to constantly be looking to how we can be a tangible and spiritual impact in the surrounding community, even bringing the love of Christ here. Um, Thank you for this. Uh, would, you, would you guide this time, guide this series? We ask for your spirit in this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so how I want to kind of get into the text here is first consider Jonah's heart as a way of understanding also our heart. So Jonah's heart and our heart. If you know the story of Jonah, uh, you know that it's a story of God coming to him and saying, hey, I want you to come and preach to this wicked city of Nineveh. I want you to go there and I want you to preach my word. And Jonah's saying, yeah, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And Jonah basically t- making a beeline for the opposite, in the opposite direction. So God called N- Jonah out of Israel to go to the ancient city of Nineveh, which actually, it wasn't until more recently that we, archaeologically we found this ancient city and, 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 and see evidence that, that it was there and all that sort of thing. But it's, it's in, it's in modern-day northern Iraq, so about 1,500 miles uh, northeast from, from Israel, where Jonah would have been. And he doesn't want to go. Instead, he has, heads out to the city we just read about called Tarshish. Now, Tarshish, uh, uh, we uh, now know, is uh, about as west as possible in the then-known world. Uh, so it's in modern-day Spain, west even of the Straits of Gibraltar. So Jonah was literally, I mean, he was taking his fleeing seriously. Uh, he was like, how can I get on a ticket to as, as far away from where the Lord wants me, wants me to go? And as the story goes, you can follow the details of this in, in the end of chapter 1, chapter 2. Uh, he doesn't get too far before God sends a storm. And then after the storm, the great fish. If you've, if you've heard the story of Jonah, you probably, oh yeah, there's a fish somewhere in there. You can read about it in Jonah, uh, end of Jonah 1. Uh, he sends a storm, he sends a fish to ultimately bring Jonah back to uh, uh, having him share the message to this great city of, of Nineveh. And Jonah, in the end, is like, you know what? He, he relents. He's like, okay, I'll go. And all along the way, we're actually told how Jonah's feeling about this whole process. And it's actually where we pick up today in, in, in our text, in John, uh, Jonah 4, which, which I want to uh, hit upon here in a moment. But we're told a number of reasons why his heart was really not in this. For starters, we, we know that he was not in it because the Ninevites were the ancient enemies to the Israelites. And when I say enemies, I'm talking like enemies. 
Uh, one uh, biblical scholar was like, hey, to put this in modern terms, basically think of the Ninevites. You know, God's calling them wicked. God's calling them brutal. We understand enough of their culture back then to basically understand that they're a modern-day version of, like, ISIS. They're an ancient-day version of kind of like what ISIS would be. So these guys were, were bad news, if I can say that. And for Jonah's part, he wouldn't have wanted to go there because Israel, if there was anything that they stood for, it was, it was being upright, moral. Um, and he probably would have despised the Ninevites. He didn't want to go there. These people were all kinds of, of scary. So he, he didn't want to go. He probably despised them, and he probably also feared them. Because, um, for instance, God wasn't just saying, hey, Jonah, I want you to go there and, and walk around all incognito. He was saying, Jonah, I want you to go there, and I want you preaching the Word of God. I want you walking around the streets saying, this is God's message. So you can imagine Jonah was not very happy in terms of the type of people he was getting ready to, to rub shoulders with, but also scared to death of what this would mean for him and his person, okay? So that's part of it. It was, it was the, the, the enemies of the Israelites. But number two, we're hinted at a number of times as, 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 we're, as the story unfolds of how Jonah just didn't want to do the work, frankly. Um, you know, I already mentioned that it was really far. It was about 1,500 miles. That's all by foot over wilderness, really intense heat. Uh, and then when you get to, to Jonah 3, which I won't open for you, you can look at it if you want, um, the way it's worded, it's kind of like Jonah, when he gets there, he's like, ah, oh, the city's so big. I got to walk. It takes three days to walk around uh, just to get through it all. Um, so Jonah's like, you know what? I, I don't want to have to do this. This work doesn't seem, it's too demanding. I'm not sure. And then finally, we come to this text today where Jonah just, he pulls the veil off. He's like, you know what? I'm going to just bare my heart and tell you, God, how I feel, why I don't want to do this, which is where, I, where we pick up today. Uh, he's really blunt about it. Um, so the context is, God, uh, you know, he had been walking throughout the city, sharing the message of God. The Ninevites, for their part, say, whoa, you're right. We shouldn't do these things. So they, they, they basically repent or change, change their hearts, uh, their heart posture. And God, for his part, says, okay, I'm going to hold off. I'm not going to send any, any trouble to you guys. I'm not going to bring uh, judgment upon these guys. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Actually, that word is exceedingly angry. White hot in anger. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for this is, it's better for me to die than to live, which dude's emo. Um, he's just really, really living it. And he'll actually repeat himself later. That's, that's kind of Jonah for you. We'll, we'll see it more. But here's what he's saying. One of the reasons he didn't want to go is because he, he thought, he knew in the bottom of his heart, the message would be successful. How's that for interesting? Now, why is this in the Bible for us? Like why, you know, anytime we come to any scripture for a follower of God and we believe this is God's word, we're asking the question, what is this here for? What does God want, it, uh, want from us in terms of, of response? It seems to me we can't help but understand that God is, through Jonah, painting a picture of our own hearts, trying to lift the mirror and help us see that we can actually be very much like Jonah. Um, I, I, it can be said this way. In every story... There's a protagonist, and there's an antagonist, right? Uh, in every story, there's somebody who agonizes pro for the good, and there's somebody who's antagonizing, you know, is agonizing against the good. So the question then is, who is the protagonist in this story, right? Jonah, the fish. Um, actually, if you look down at the very end, we, we see real clearly the last question of the, of the book. Uh, God says, should I not have compassion, Jonah? Should I not have concern? for the great city? Uh, 
we see that God is the protagonist. We see that this story is actually about God seeking to bring grace and love and mercy to a big city, uh, which more on that to come. But it's also revealing in terms of who's fighting against that. Uh, Who's fighting against that? It's the religious, the morally upright, the one who takes God's command seriously and and is trying to obey, obey him. It's Jonah. It's us, church friends. Um, he's trying to show us, I believe God through Jonah, he's trying to show us that it's very easy for us in our moral ways, in our religious ways, to be fearing of the city, to be fearing of the area we live in, to, to not love it as, as, as he loves it. And so the question, just to kind of pause and wrestle with that uh, uh, for, our, for ourselves, is in what way can our hearts actually reflect the heart of, of, of a Jonah? How can it be hard for us to love where we live? Um, and I think the answer to that is going to be deeply personal for each of us. I mean, how, how might you, it be a challenge for you to love where you live? Maybe it's uh, hard for you to live, uh, love where you live because of the pace of life. You know, people are so driven here in the Silicon Valley. Maybe that's what's really, really hard for you to love where you live. Maybe it's the cost of living, like I talked about earlier. You know, the feeling of, I don't know, I can love, uh, love a place where I might not ever own. Um, Maybe what, is, what really is really upsetting to you is the political culture here, if I can go there. I, you know, I, I love how here at Current, uh, we uh, have folks here. I mean, we are a church body that, is, that consists of, of folks on both sides of the political spectrum. We don't hold a political agenda here. We, we hold what we believe to be an eternal one. But maybe what's happening in the, in the political sphere is what really, ooh, that gets you. Uh, makes it hard for you to love where you live. Maybe it's the lack of certain kinds of diversity here in the Silicon Valley, even as the Silicon Valley claims to celebrate it. Maybe it's the, this area's value of money or value of owning the biggest and the, and the best. Uh, you, you, you can see that this list just can go on and on, um, but the point is it's really easy not to love or even want to love where we are. And, and don't you see uh, in this text that, that God is saying to Jonah and then through Jonah to us as the church to consider um, that to the extent that this becomes our heart posture of where we live, we're missing out. We're missing out on what, what God is, is calling us to. Um, Jonah's heart, our heart, I want to look at God's heart, which is really interesting here because uh, when I was doing my study for this, a number of the, the, the biblical scholars, um, all independent of each other, or I mean, they could have been reading, reading each other's stuff, so maybe it wasn't totally independent of each other, but they kept saying this one thing that I thought was really fascinating. They kept saying, God's love, as it's described here, is really weird, they put it. Like, God's love is weird. Um, maybe a, 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 a more helpful way for us to understand is God's love is balanced, but they're like, uh, that word balanced, but they've been saying, look at this story. God's love is really weird. So, for instance, on one hand, when you look at God's love, it's, it's him saying to this wicked, brutal people, you guys need to get your act together. Hey, you need to, you need to knock off what you're doing. Not, you, need to, you need to shape up, or, or it is going to go down. Uh, and you know what? For his part, Jonah loves that part of the, the message. Uh, when you look at, at Jonah 3, he, that's what he's focusing on. If you look at Jonah 3, verse 4, he, he goes out proclaiming. What does he proclaim? 40 more days, and Jonah will, will be overthrown. God doesn't correct him and say, hey, that's not part of the deal. That's just what Jonah tends to emphasize. Um, that is actually, if you want to think about it for a second, part of God's love for us. 
God, we've talked about it, is, 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 is like a father to us. He cares about how we live because he wants the best for us. I mean, his scripture, his word is for, the, for our good. And if you, if you want to think about it this way, I think we've, we've talked about this before. If this is God's message, if it's word and it's, it's, it's his timeless truth, then you have to figure it's, it's speaking into all cultures throughout all time. And if it's speaking through all cultures throughout all time, there's going to be every culture where it commends certain things about that culture. Hey, doing these things wonderfully, these things good. As well as certain things about a given culture that's like, hey, you're not doing these things. You're, you're, you're living for yourself. You're, you're not caring for others. You're not, you're not caring for, for, for me and, all, and all, so on and so forth. So it stands to reason that God's message for every culture is going to at some points rub people the wrong way, make people angry. Um, it just so happened Jonah was angry about the other side of God's love. Um, Jonah went with this message of here's God's love, and what's amazing is the Ninevites actually didn't recoil at that. The Ninevites actually said, you know what? He might be right here. He might be onto something. Maybe what we're doing isn't the best. We're sorry. We're really sorry, and they turned from their ways, and Jonah is ticked off. Um, because, because we see another facet of God's love is when they turn, God relents. Um, so God's love is very much, hey, I care about the way you live and how you do it. That's going to make you angry. It's going to make cultures angry, at, even at the individual level. There's certain things that we just, you know what, God? You know, I, I love what you call me to do. I'm a follower of yours, but this little area, I care so much about it. I, I, I'm going to do my own thing. We all are going to hate that part of his love in some respect, but then think about it this other respect, when, when God relents from bringing that, that, that judgment on the people, Jonah gets really ticked off because he's like, God, how could you, how could you not, how, how could you relent? Why aren't you bringing that justice? Um, and I think that can make us mad. That can make people mad. Um, think about it from, from this perspective. Uh, if you've ever been wronged by somebody and, uh, you know, they've wronged you in such a way where your response is like, how dare they do that? Um, and you uh, start to look for an opportunity to kind of rewrite that wrong with them, um, you know, to bring justice where you've incurred injustice. It's easy to want to inflict pain because they've caused you pain, but sometimes when you're in the thick of the argument and the other person suddenly has a total change of heart, you're like kind of stuck in this limbo like, oh, no, don't have a change of heart. You know what I'm saying? Wait a minute, I was, I was, I was rearing to get going at you. And then you're stuck with this, this decision, aren't you? Are you going to lay into them in spite of that? Or are you going to relent and extend grace, love, and forgiveness? What we find out about God's love here is he is incredibly, he, he, is, he is so eager to extend his love, grace, and forgiveness. At the smallest turn of the heart, of a genuine like turn of the heart posture, he just, he just wants to extend his love and grace. And you know what? That can be hard. No wonder the biblical scholars are like, that's, that's really weird. You know, on the one hand, God is really demanding, but at the same time, in his demanding, if we just would start to receive who he is and what, he's, what, he's, what he makes available to us, he will just pounce us with love, grace, forgiveness. Um, it's really kind of weird. But you know what? That's not just the story of Jonah. Jonah actually, for his part here, is, is quoting uh, uh, Exodus 34. Um, when he says, uh, you know, I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Jonah is quoting a really pivotal time in the, the history of the Israelites. Uh, it was when they, were, they parted the Red Sea, they came out 
of slavery from the Egyptians. They were out in the desert. God was giving them the Ten Commandments. They were, they were formulating as a nation, as a people of God. Moses was their leader, and it is in this moment that they got the Ten Commandments, and God really said, hey, this is who I am. This is who I am for you. This real pivotal moment, God came down, it says in Exodus 34, verse 5, uh, in the cloud and stood there with him, yeah, that is Moses, proclaimed his name, the Lord, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Do you see both ends of God's love there? He cares. He doesn't leave the guilty unpunished, and yet he's slow and compassionate. That's both ends. God is a God of justice and righteousness. He cares about truth and in in, in the way we live, as he is a God of mercy and grace, wanting to extend to us forgiveness. Um, but that's not just the story, this weird love of God, of, of Jonah. It's not just the story of Exodus. It's, about, it's what the whole Bible is about, ultimately pointing to and culminating in God's love for us and the good news of Jesus Christ the gospel. Um, I've heard it described this way. I wonder if you've, if you've been in church. I wonder if you have too. It can be said, like when Jesus was nailed there on the cross, it was as if one nail that pegged him on this side was God's righteousness, his truth, his justice. He cares about the things that we do. And then on this side, it was as if the nail here that pegged him to the, to the tree was his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Uh, Jesus took care of both. Jesus, the gospel is, lived the life that we could not live, that God calls us to live, and died the death that we deserve, that we might have life in his name. Um, 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. God cares so much about the way we live, calls us to be the people he's called us to be, and when we mess up, he is there at the smallest of hearts posture to turn back towards him to, 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 to envelop us in his love and his grace. And that's the message here in Jonah. But don't miss this, because what's amazing to me as I read Jonah, it's easy to kind of high level have the question, oh my goodness, God extends this love to the Ninevites? I mean, if you think about modern day ISIS or whatever, however you want to think of that, that's, a, that's an amazing, that's a radical thought that you have to wrestle through with, with the book of Jonah. But don't just jump there. Because what is almost as radical, if not more radical to me, is that is what God is first extending to Jonah, who needs it. Uh, Jonah figures he's got it all worked out. He knows how God works, but he needs God working in his own heart. Um, and that is the amazing thing to me about Jonah. And as we consider for uh, our, ourselves as a church, this is what God sends to us and works through us so that he can then work through us and, and help others. This is what uh, is going on, it, it seems to me, in verses 5 through 8. Uh, God gives Jonah an object lesson, if we can say that. After preaching to the city, Jonah goes up on the mountainside, which is interesting. Probably everyone uh, tends to think uh, to, to see if God will go ahead and burn the city. Uh, he, he, like, God's already relented, but Jonah's sitting there, front row seat. I'm hoping that God will go ahead and just, just smite these guys anyway, um, based on his posturing here. Um, that doesn't happen, so he makes himself a shelter while he's waiting. Um, and that's actually, by the way, a practice of what folks did back then. It's not like they could go to REI, get an easy up or whatever. Um, they built their sort of thing. Uh, for what it's worth, uh, Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia at any given time of the year can average about 110 degrees. So we're talking real high heat. Um, this guy needed to build, uh, build a shelter for him. It wouldn't have a roof, but it would have helped some with the shade. Um, a, a plant grows up, covers him. 
Jonah's happy about that plant. Um, he's been working hard. It's hot. Um, but then a worm eats that plant, and it withers, taking away his shade, and then a scorching wind comes through. By the way, there's actually winds that happen there today called uh, Sirocco's. Uh, I don't know the, the, um, the origin of that, of that word, but, but basically know that the wind itself, on average, increases the temperature another 16 to 22 degrees. Um, so I, I, I love how one scholar was like, hey, Jonah is being emo here, but really... These kind of conditions would make even the faintest guy of heart, uh, you know, snap. <laughs> Jonah, and Jonah doesn't, uh, uh, but Jonah is the emo type. He freaks out, and he says, uh, and he, he says I want to die. And then God comes to him, verse 9. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah replies with real candor. I love that this is in the Bible. It is. It is. I mean, right? I love how the Bible's not trying to, like, patch things over here. It's real. It is right for me to be angry, sovereign Lord. It's, it's, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Um, but then look at verses 10 through, through 11 here. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? Let me, let me try to paraphrase that. Jonah, you care about plants. I care about people. If I could be more pointed, Jonah, you care about yourself. I care about people, and I care about helping you care about people. That, to me, is when I, I just gave me the, the, the chills when this dawned on me in, in the studies of the Lord opened up the Scripture, is that God was helping Jonah get to the place that he didn't deserve God helping him get to the place to. Do you see that? The whole story of Jonah is God might as well have just said, you know what, Jonah, forget you. Go, go to your city of Tarshish. I'll find some other person. Uh, but God sticks with him. And if you look at this text, it's amazing. Um, verse 6, it says, Then the Lord God provided the leafy plant. You see that? And then the worm. Uh, the Lord provided the worm. Verse 7. And then verse 8. The Lord provided the scorching east wind. And then if you go back actually to the first uh, the first chapter, when you, that whole deal with the huge fish, it says the Lord provided the huge fish. Chapter 1, verse 17. God provided, God provided, God provided, God provided. What's going on there? God was working in Jonah's heart to bring him to the place of saying, Jonah, 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 I don't want you to miss out on the greatest adventure of your life. And I want to do this in spite of yourself. I love that. The story of Jonah is God's grace first and foremost going to the messenger who doesn't deserve it. Um, which, friends, that, if there's something that we believe in to the bottom and the core of our hearts here at Current, is that we pray this prayer, that God would build his church in spite of us. We are Jonas. The more, the more we care to admit, the more we care to dig deep and understand it, we are, we are Jonas. Um, it might be out of laziness like Jonah. It might be out of fear like Jonah. It might be out of worry, scare. What will people say if I, if I bring God's love or I share what it is? It might be fear. It might be out of certain prejudices that are, that are there that we're, you know, frankly, if we look into it, we'd be embarrassed. It could be any number of things, but the, the gospel starts with Jonah. The gospel starts with God coming to him and showing to you and me that he wants to use messed up people to do amazing things. And that's what I think I'm so excited about this season and the, and, the, and the calling that we have here at Current. 
um, that God wants to use messed up people to do amazing things. And friends, do you want to, do you want to be on board with that? Um, it's so amazing to me at the end of this text how God argues. The word argue, he argues with Jonah. Hey, Jonah, you don't want to miss out on this one. Uh, you engineers will really enjoy this. He uses data. He uses numbers to make his point. I'm serious. Look at verse 11. And should I not have concern for this great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people? He's making the point based on a number. What's he saying? He's saying Nineveh strategic. Now, don't hear me wrong. God cares very much about each and every person, infinitely loving each and every person. It's not to say some are valued more than the others. No, it's not true. But what he's saying here is, certainly is there's real strategic value in reaching Nineveh, Jonah. Guys, we are sitting in the part of the world that is arguably the most influential of any part of the world today and any part of the world that has ever existed throughout history. That's where God has us. That's where he's placed us. And check out uh, verse Check out Acts uh, 17, verses 26 and 27. From one man he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they might seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he himself, uh, though he is not far from any one of us. What's he saying? He's saying, you are not here by accident. You are not in the Silicon Valley by accident. God has you here right now for a purpose, for a reason. Uh, I just love where we live. You know, as a as a church startup guy who's just kind of out there having a lot of the conversations uh, that I that, that I get to have in, in my position. You know, reaching out to potential partnerships and there's a lot of people out there. You're probably not going to be surprised by this in Christendom, if I can say that, who look at the barrier and you're like, boy, that place is lost. You know, that that place is so far gone. And we get to say, no, 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 no. God's doing an amazing thing here. God's doing a wonderful thing here. In two years, we've gotten to see, boy, if you had asked me if we would have seen one person put their faith in Jesus, I would have been like, that would have been pretty miraculous at this point in a place, in a part of the world that has a sitcom named after itself with the joke that in Northern California, Christianity is borderline illegal, uh, is the quote. Um, if you had said one person, I would have been like, that was amazing. We've now seen friends about 30 adults put their faith in Jesus. And it's just like, God, you are so amazing. And you know what? If, if you're here today and you're checking things out and you're, you don't identify as Christian, by the way, first of all, we love that you're here. We're honored you're here. Welcome. Um, I, but to you, I'd say, and that sounds like a miracle to me, even if you don't believe in Jesus. Um, God's doing an amazing work with some of our partner churches. People are coming to faith. People are really kind of, what's real central to our vision, by the way? Real central to our vision is breaking down the barriers that people would see Jesus for who he is. You know what some of the barriers are to what people think Jesus is? Jonah. You know, with the, the message of, hey, I'm just going to focus on this part, or I'm going to get in, my, in the way with my own prejudice. We want to humbly start with saying we are more likely Jonah than we realize. Let's just start from there. Apologize. We are self-righteous. We are hypocritical. But we're following the one who, his message starts with the hypocrites and self-righteous. And it's helping the hypocrites and self-righteous begin to see it's not about you. It's about him working through you and you getting out of the way, us getting out of the way. That's what we long for. We long to get out of the way so people can see Jesus. People are rejecting Christianity in here because of Christians, not because of Christ. That to us is tragic. But when people are seeing Christ and his beauty, some are saying, whoa, this is attractive, because it is attractive. It's the, word, it's the words of life that in him 
He does call us into the life that he's always called us to be. But knowing that we're not going to be able to do that, he sent his son to die for us. The minute we turn our heart towards him, he receives us, gives us life in his name. Guys, this is our calling. This is what we are so excited about. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, and it's just as true today as it was then in Palestine, of, of here in the Silicon Valley, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Um, to me, the big challenge slash invitation of Jonah is will we labor? Will we follow the Lord and love where we live? Not just happy, joy, joy, I love Silicon Valley, it's great, but love as an action where we are. Our, will, our, will we let our hearts start to melt and see and feel with his love and his heart for the Silicon Valley as he does? And as he, as he, as he moves, can we, be, we want to we position ourselves to be a part of it. That's, by the way, why we're doing the Art and Wine Festival. Eric talked about uh, earlier today. Our whole goal is to be out there to break down barriers so that people would taste, feel, see, understand that, uh, that there's a community here loving each other in such a way that it's attractively showing Jesus. Uh, we're not necessarily out there preaching uh, uh, the gospel. As people uh, come up, we're getting into spiritual conversations, which are wonderful. But a lot of what's happening out there as we volunteer, we'd love for you to volunteer, is people saying, why is there a church out here in our wine festival? And you know our response if you've been out there. It's like, well, last we checked. People say that all the time, by the way. Why is the church out here? And our response is, well, Jesus turned water into wine, so we're out here. Um, but that's breaking down barriers. That's breaking down barriers because people think, oh, Christian. We don't care about what they think about Christians or current being like a hip church out there doing a cool one. We don't care about that. We want people to begin to see Jesus' love for them for what it is and to break down barriers towards that. Would you be thinking about this year? Would you be praying for your coworkers, your neighbors, you, the friends of your, ki- your kids that they're in, their, in their school district, whatever it is, praying for them, thinking actively, how can you invite them, bring them into community um, for the sake of understanding God's weird love, that he does care Why, about how we live, because, because he cares for us like, as a father, but he's so eager to just pour out his love, forgiveness, and mercy, and grace that we can extend this love to folks around us. That's our calling, friends, and we get to do it in the Silicon Valley together. Um, let's roll up our sleeves and let's pray that he would, he would do that in us and through us. Let's, let's pray.